David Ogilvy once wrote that visual demonstrations are effective because they help visualize your promise. They save time since you don't have to talk about what your product does. You can simply show it. And they are also memorable. But too many copywriters miss the chance to demonstrate the impact of their products and services or their clients' products. Our guest for the 217th episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Jude Charles. Jude is a brand strategist, storyteller, and filmmaker who's passionate about the power of demonstrations and visual proof. But before we dive into the demonstrations and proof, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. That's the membership community designed to help you create a more successful copywriting business. As a member, you have access to more than 60 hours of insightful training, group coaching calls, copy teardowns and reviews, weekly creative exercises, and our exclusive print newsletter mailed directly to your home. Go to thecopywriterunderground.com to learn more. This is actually our second interview with Jude. The first one was lost when we had a technical glitch. So we're thankful that Jude came back at all to answer our questions all over again. And with that, let's jump in. All right. So Jude, let's start with your story. How did you end up as a brand strategist, storyteller, and filmmaker? (laughs) So I have always been interested in storytelling. Um, From a very young age, eight years old, I wasn't the kid that would be outside playing basketball or football. Even inside the house, I wasn't the kid that played video games. Instead, I would lock myself in a room after school and I would write. And what I was writing was these 100-page books of what I thought my future life would look like. So I wrote books like uh, The Police Life of Jude Charles, because growing up, I wanted to be a police officer, and um, The Baseball Life of Jude Charles. But in all, I wrote 11 books. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I I mean, so more details here. Like, what was The Police Life of Jude Charles like? You know, and how developed were these stories? Uh, These stories were pretty developed because I was thinking like 20 years into the future. So I was like an old. So even though I was writing it, at a, as an eight-year-old child, I was writing it as if I was 28. <laughs> <laughs> I love and this. So, um, so for me, it was just like, what could my future life look like? If I became a police officer, if I became a baseball player, like, what would that look like? And so I wrote 11 books, and then I got into high school. And in high school, I took a TV production class. And the teacher, Mrs. Donnelly, she taught me everything that she knew about video production. And then at the end of the school year, she looks at me and she says, Jude, you're really, really talented at this. You should start a business. Now, I'm the last of 10 children. No one in my family are entrepreneurs. My dad was a construction worker. My mom worked at a chair factory. And so being an entrepreneur, I had no idea what that meant. But by the following day, May 5th, 2006, I'll never forget it. She comes into the classroom with a yellow envelope. She hands me a yellow envelope. And I'm like, what is this? And she's like, look inside. And when I open up the yellow envelope, inside of the yellow envelope was my first set of business cards. And that's literally how I got started as an entrepreneur, as a filmmaker, um, at 17 years old, starting a business. Wow. Okay. Just a couple questions about the 11 books that you wrote. How, I mean, over how many years you started writing these books when you were eight? Did, 
you finished all 11 in a year or a month or was this spread out? It was from like the age of eight till about 12 years old as I, I wrote consistently throughout those years. And then some of the books, there are 11 books, but some of them were like volume one, volume two. So I think there was a book I had uh, called From Boyhood to Manhood. And this was a story about me growing up with uh, my best friends, who I'm actually still friends with to this day. And um, that had like three different volumes. I think The Police Life of Jude Charles maybe had two. So it was just repeated, repeated books, but like different volumes of what I felt like the future would look like. Did you write one where you became a filmmaker? I did not. I I wrote one where I think from boyhood to manhood, I ended up running a security firm. Obviously, Police Life of Jude Charles, I became the sheriff. Baseball Life, Baseball Life of Jude Charles was based off of the Jackie Robinson story. So so I, I think I ended it at a certain point, but it was just none of them were me becoming a filmmaker at all. And do you still have the books? Are they like in a box in the basement somewhere? I do still have the books. I still have all 11 of them. I, um, because I've been doing podcasts res- regularly, I, uh, I've been asked if I still have them and I actually dig them out and started reading them. So it's, it's pretty fascinating to see some of the things that I've wrote. I, I think you should throw these up on like the Kindle store and we can all take a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give that some thought. I'm not sure. I'm, it's, you know, it is mind blowing the things that I was writing at that young of an age, but I don't know that I'm willing to be that vulnerable and just share that entire thing with the world. <laughs> Is there anything else that you predicted at that young age that came true or maybe surprised you as you've looked back? Um, there isn't anything. It, it is surprising. I think it's just surprising to see how developed my mind was and the things that I was saying in the books. That's what surprised me the most. Um, but there wasn't anything other than becoming an entrepreneur that I had predicted. There wasn't anything else that I had predicted at that age that actually happened. So I love how future centered you were at that age. And I'm curious, you know, now looking back, do you do the same thing? Do you project out and maybe you're not writing it out in a book, but are you thinking this is where Jude Charles is going to be 20 years from now? The what the 48 year old, the 58 year old version of Jude Charles? Yeah, you know, I do. I, so I like to think in uh, 10 year blocks. And so I do try to think like, what would my life, what will my life look like 10 years from now? When I first started the business in 2006, I, um, I always said, I'll give myself 10 years to, to get to a point where I feel like I'm successful. And if I'm not successful at 10 years, I'll just call it quits. I don't want to keep this going if I'm not making any money. And I don't, I don't want to be the, the music artist that just keeps going, even though they haven't had a hit record or a, or a label sign them. And so for me, I always think in 10 years, Marks, I'm at a point now, though, it's, it is very hard to think about what the next 10 years looks like. Obviously, starting a family and um, getting married and doing different things like that. But it's hard to think because at some point I've always thought that I would walk away from video production or walk away from filmmaking. And it's hard to think what that would look like. What would I do next? Because this is all I've ever known for literally almost 20 years of my life. Well, you're going to be a policeman and be the sheriff. <laughs> Uh, I don't, I I might be a little too old for that by then, but we'll see. Okay. So going back to your story, then you got the business cards and then what, what did you do to start to, you know, find clients to start to create the kinds of videos? Uh, I'm sure they're different what you were doing then than what you're doing today, but what were the next steps? Uh, next steps for me were just literally trying to find clients and how I found clients at that time was just word of mouth. I was doing, at that time, small little gigs. So it was like birthday parties or weddings. 
And I say weddings, they, they were small back then because I was only getting paid like $500 to do a wedding. And over time, I think once I started doing a little bit of that, I also got into the entertainment world. And so I started shooting behind the scenes of music videos and um, behind the scenes of uh, music artists performing uh, either at a arena or behind the scenes of them performing at a club. And it wasn't until 2009 that I met a client. Her name was Keisha Dior. And I started working with her. We were filming a documentary series. And this was like my dream to film documentaries. Like I, I've always been fascinated by documentaries and I've always been fascinated by just telling real stories. And so we filmed that project for the first year. Um, she was creating cosmetic business from the ground up and she just wanted to film everything happening, what she was doing, how she was doing it. And I'll never forget the day um, that I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning to the sounds of chains hitting the floor. And this was always a nightmare of mine because I, had, up until this point, I had been in business for five years. 2010 had been in business for five years and almost five years. And the sound of chains hitting the floor was when I got up out of bed and ran outside. What it was was a tow truck driver coming to repossess my car for the second time in eight months. And so the first five years, I really struggled in business. I struggled to make money. And of course, I pleaded with him not to take the car, act like he hadn't seen the car, you know, just give me another week. Of course, he had a job to do, so he took the car. And I remember coming in, back inside the house. I was sitting on the edge of my bed. And I was just thinking to myself, like, you know what? I've given this a good run. I've tried it out. I was still very young at the time. I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't meant to be. I'll call it quits. And in that moment, I had been sitting there for about 40 minutes. And in that moment, Keisha Dior calls me. And she's like, Jude, Jude, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. And I'm like, what happened, Keisha? <laughs> she's like, you know, I've been doing this business for, for a year now. And I just got off the phone with the accountant and I made a million dollars. We crossed over the seven figure mark. And I remember thinking in that moment like this, it was very surreal because here I am. I'm struggling to make money. Uh, at that point, I had been struggling to make about $20,000 a year. And I have a client who's only been in business for a year and she's made a million dollars. And for me, it was a light bulb moment that, you know what, I don't need to quit. I don't need to give it up. I just need to learn how to do, how to get better at sales and marketing. Um, and so that's what really created the transition point for me. The first five years I'd gotten clients and I had, I had gotten small gigs, but I hadn't really worked on projects that I really wanted to work on that really fueled me and, and drove me. And here I am working on this project for the first time. And my client has great success. And it's like, okay, I have, to, I have to go back and figure out what worked, why it worked, so that I could recreate it for the next client. So Jude, can you talk a little bit about the differences that you experienced around struggle versus success? So, you know, thinking about the first five years of your business where you struggled versus, you know, 2010 when you had that moment and things changed for you, move, you know, moving towards today where you're... Uh, you're running a su successful business. What's the difference? What are some of the things we could do to go from struggling to success? It's a great question. I think the biggest thing for me at that time was perspective. So I talk about Keisha making a million dollars um, in her business off of, partially off of a documentary that I had created for her. And at a time where I'm struggling in business and I'm struggling to make money, I could have been really bitter in that moment. And I could have said, you know what, like, it's unfair because for, for context at the time, I had only gotten paid 
$3,000 to do part one of her documentary series, whereas she made a million dollars. And so I could have looked at it as like, you know, I should be getting some of the money or different things like that. Instead, I looked at it as, you know what, I've, I've proved that this works. And if I prove that it worked once, all I have to do is prove that it works a second time. And so I think it's always about perspective, um, even as I like continue to grow the business, even as I work with high level clients like uh, Stefan Georgia, a high level copywriter, like it's it's all about the perspective. Um, and I think that that's the biggest thing. I always say that um, there's a difference between perspective and vision. We're, we're both all of us are born with the ability to see we're bo- we're born with eyes right we're born with the ability to see but over time um like right now i wear glasses so if i don't have on the right set of glasses i may not be able to see far away and i think it's the same thing in business as an entrepreneur that if you don't have on the right set of lenses you don't you're not seeing the right perspective you're not being you're not able to read what's happening in front of you so that you can make the right decision that comes next um, and so that's been the biggest thing for me is always just having the right perspective, no matter what level I'm at, as I continue to try to go to the next level, what perspective do I need to have? What mindset do I need to have in order to get there? So Jude, as you made the shift then from, you know, rock bottom failing or, or succeeding in some ways, but not financially, what changes did you make to your business in order to turn it around you know, so that you're not just making $3,000, but you're actually making enough so that you can afford to pay for the car or for, you know, food or whatever, whatever it was. What are the changes that you made in order to, to turn it around? Learning how to run a business was the biggest thing. I think that I was talented and gifted at filmmaking, but I didn't understand how to charge for what I was creating. Um, so I had to learn sales and marketing all over again. Like I went back to the basics. I remember the first course I took to go back to the basics was a course called Earn 1K from Ramit Sethi. And it was all about like his his thesis was if, if you can earn one thousand dollars, then you could just repeat it. But if you have you have to learn how to earn the first thousand dollars the right way. And he taught a lot about sales and marketing and, and lead generation. And I wasn't doing any of those things back then. I wasn't um, I didn't understand why I needed to charge more or that there were clients out there who would pay more money or even how to. OK, I, I have this client that's had a lot of success. How do I package that up into something that's a case study that I now take to another client and say, hey, well, I did X, Y, Z for this client. This is what I can do for you. Um, and so that's what it, re- it was really about is like sales and marketing and understanding how to pitch, how to tell my own story. I wasn't telling my own story at the time. I, did, I wasn't telling the story of how I was, you know, this 17-year-old kid who started in video production just because I was talented or just because the teacher believed in me. I wasn't telling that story. And so... I had to learn those things. And the very next project that, after taking the course and the very next project that I pitched, it was with an interior designer. Um, and I remember I was, I was going crazy. It took me a month from the very first time he called me to the time that I actually gave him a proposal or presented the proposal to him. It took me a month to put everything together just because I was so worried that one, I was asking for a larger fee. So I was going from $3,000 to $15,000. And two, like, I was just like, I have to get this right for him to say yes. And I wasn't sure if he would say yes. And so it took me a whole month. And literally in the, as I'm doing the presentation, I'm getting ready to reveal the number to him. And I reveal it. And literally his next words are, great, when do we get started? And so it it took a lot of just making sure that I 
understood what I was doing, why it worked. I, I went back and asked him why he was so comfortable with moving forward. And one of the things was about a storyboard that I had done. Like I did, I gave him a visual reference of what I would be creating for him. And he was like, when he saw that, he knew I was the right person for the job. So it was just, I had to learn all those things to realize what is it that's going to persuade a client to want to say yes to working with me? And then how do I replicate that? Once I figured out it's worked, how do I replicate that over and over? Can you give some specific tips for how copywriters can do that to um, get better at sales and marketing to get the client to say yes? I mean, you gave some examples like case studies and creating a storyboard to kind of like woo your prospect into saying yes. Um, But what else could we do, especially if maybe we aren't, we have struggled with sales and marketing? It's something that I do now, which is called road mapping, which is asking a lot of questions from your client so that you understand the project and you understand what it's going to take to get them results, what it's going to take to get them to their goal that they want to have. So that's the first thing is like asking a lot of questions. I think that's the simplest thing um, and being getting good at asking questions, because sometimes clients will give you surface level answers and you need to dig deeper and not being afraid to dig deeper. Um, The second thing is, yeah, definitely the storyboard or I think we as human beings are visual creatures. And even though you're writing, whether let's say you're writing um, an email sequence for a client or you're writing a sales page, I think giving the client a visual reference of, let's say, hypothetically, a timeline of how things will go just so that they're confident that you know what you're doing. Not so much that you're confident in your writing skills, but confident that you know what, this is not going to be a project where I have to hold your hand. Um, What worries clients a lot is not the creative work. Of course, they want to succeed. They want to make sure that the the work that you give them is going to accomplish their goal. But I think the other thing is just whether or not it'll be a headache to work with you, right? Um, Especially in my industry, video production, the two biggest things is that uh, video uh, producers or filmmakers do not deliver on time. And then the other thing is that they just don't, they're, they're too worried about being creative that they're not actually telling the story or they're not actually doing what the client needs for them to do. Um, and so I think it's giving your client a visual reference of the reason that the storyboard was so important to that client was because he, by the time that we film and, and then I edit, he wouldn't see any of the work. So he wasn't sure or confident that I would actually be filming the right things or I was or that I would actually be um, delivering the right thing. And so seeing that visual storyboard, it was like, okay, this guy has got a plan before he's ever gotten started. And I think the same thing in, in copywriting. It's like, okay, is there an outline? Like, what are you following here? Or how do I know this is the milestones we're going to reach? And then I think the third thing is just constantly checking in with your client. Um, even as you're doing the project, I know, especially with us creatives, we like to just get in the zone and do the project. But I think being able to communicate with your client and and talk to them and and reassure them that, hey, this is going as planned. Those are the three things that I think, and and it it doesn't necessarily sound like sales and marketing, but these are the things like marketing doesn't stop once you get the client. Marketing continues even as you're looking to fulfill whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's a sales page, whether it's an email sequence, you're fulfilling that and that marketing has to continue. You need to reassure your client like, hey, you're on the right path. You're doing the right thing to get results. 
So hearing Jude talk about the stories that he wrote when he was younger, the, these books that he wrote, they got me thinking. I never wrote any books about what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I definitely had ideas about what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it wasn't the typical you know, fireman kind of a thing, but it also definitely wasn't a copywriter. So uh, Kira, let's open up our childhoods a little bit. What did you want to be when you grew up? Was it copywriter? I was not a copywriter. Um, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be, I definitely wanted to be a mom. I knew I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be a pr the president at one point, definitely felt empowered by my family. Um, and then I wanted to um, create movies and make movies. And so those, yeah, it was kind of a combination of all of it, but copywriter was never, never on the list. Yeah, that wasn't on my list either. You still want to make movies too. Like you haven't given up that dream. <laughs> yeah. I became a mom. I do not want to be president. I do want to still make movies. And uh, yeah, it'd be fun to have a little bit more art in my life too. What about what about you? What did you want to do? Yeah, so there were two dreams that I kind of had that I I'm, I abandoned somewhere along the line. Number one, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Uh, I, I was Holy really cow. taken. I was really taken by the idea of like what brains could do. And they were, they're just so cool. I think that came out of, you know, a, a, a class that I took, you know, in seventh or eighth grade or whatever. So I was sort of fascinated by that. And I was thought, ah, oh, that'd be, that'd be really cool. And I suppose in some ways I, you know, I'm not anything close to a brain surgeon, but like thinking about neuromarketing and psychology maybe is related to uh, that interest. And then the other thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to go to law school and be a judge and be appointed to the Supreme court. So if you had been president, you could have uh, appointed me to the Supreme court. Yeah, could have, all our dreams could have come true <laughs> in one big swoop. Um, that's really cool. I can't believe you wanted to be a, a, a brain surgeon. Like, that's intense. Yeah, that's probably why I'm not a brain surgeon now. Is because maybe a little too intense. I don't know. So, but yeah, dreams changed, and uh, somehow uh, you know I got more involved in uh, in copywriting along the way, and uh, here here I am, and here you are. Yeah, the dots all connect. Those should uh, that should all go on your about page. I hope it's on your about page. Yeah, none of that is on my about page right now, but maybe maybe someday. So what else? What else stood out to you? You know, as uh, Jude was talking about his business and you know the this really cool business that he's built uh, from literally nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm amazed and in awe of him because he started his business at age 17. Um, I I mean, that's just so impressive. Um, I was not even close to capable of starting a business at age 17. I was like still playing with dolls and not even there. So that just stands out to me. Um, and then, you know, that he's um, the youngest of 10 or 11 children, like just a lot of wow factors that are so impressive. Um, and as far as what really resonated with me was what Jude had said about marketing and marketing to your clients and that it continues even after you have made the sale. And I think it's really easy to forget that, you know, once we sell the client and we're working with them and we kind of move them into a different process, um, that you don't, that you can drop the, the selling and, and the sales, but you really can't. And you need to connect with them on a regular basis to remind them of what they're working towards and why they hired you and where you are in the path and reassure them and continue to build the confidence help them build the confidence in you and your processes that you don't just stop. And so I think that's something that a lot of us do. I know I have, and that's what can actually set a project off track when there's that communication ends and you kind of just think as the copywriter, well, they hired me, 
they know I can do this. They know I've got this. Like, I don't really have to do anything else for the next month other than create the deliverable. Um, But on the opposite end, the client always feels anxious. Even after they've paid the deposit, they always feel that anxiety. And so it's our job to help them through that. And, And it is part of our job. And so I think it's easy for us to say, well, that's not part of what I do, but it is. Yeah, well said. I think, and this isn't just a copywriter problem. I mean, all businesses sort of struggle with this. The idea that sales ends once the cash register rings or marketing ends as soon as you have the customer. And that's not the case at all. Marketing and sales uh, have to happen virtually through the entire customer life cycle from beginning to end. And hopefully if you're doing it right, there isn't actually an end. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, So what else stood out to you, Rob? So one other thing that uh, jumped out to me is I love what Jude does with this road mapping and um, the development of the process, you know, before he, before he goes out to shoot anything, but just um, using a roadmap to figure out where they're going on a project. And I know there are copywriters who actually do road mapping sessions, uh, you know, as part of the, either the sales process or the research process, but um, you know, just figuring out, like what the stories are, what the demonstration is going to be, I think uh, is a useful reminder to me that it's not just about looking at what competitors are doing on their websites or even necessarily what the, the customer's experience is with the product, but there's often other pieces that need to be brought in uh, from the customer experience or from uh, the client's experience to be included in all of this stuff. Yeah. And he mentioned that he sold one of his biggest clients early on um, into this higher project fee because he presented a storyboard. And um, that concept of a storyboard works really well for what he does as a storyteller um, and videographer, but it works well for copywriters too. And maybe it's not necessarily a storyboard, but it really is our timeline. It's a project timeline, being able to show an outline of the project and, and the plan and the map, and then even a framework or a visual uh, that can show the path that you're going to take the client through or on. And um, build, again, kind of it goes back to building that confidence that they feel like there is a plan in place. You're not just going to figure it out as you go. And so that's something that maybe we don't create a storyboard in our proposals or present that, but we can have a really tight timeline, a really tight process step-by-step, and even a framework visual that might be more conceptual that shows um, the outcome and what we're working towards. And this is a really powerful tool that copywriters can use, even beginning copywriters. You know, we hear a lot of times that, you know, I can't talk about what I do because I don't have any results. And this is one of those tools that maybe helps overcome that objection from a client. The client really wants to know, can I trust this person, this person that I'm about to hire, give money to rewrite my website or create content for my blog or whatever the thing is they're being hired for. And they just want to know, is this person going to be able to deliver? And when you're able to show a roadmap or a framework or a process and step people kind of almost step by step, what you're going to do for them at what point you're going to be giving them something at what point they're going to give you something, what they're going to get at the end builds a ton of trust. Like you were saying. Yes. And the last um, comment I would add is that uh, Jude asks so many questions as he was talking through his process uh, when he does work with clients on the roadmapping session during those eight hours, he's just asking question after question. He's almost interrogating them and challenging them too. Um, And he's almost like, hey, I don't even know if this person's for real. I'm going to question everything about what they're doing to just to figure out what they're all about. And so I just love that idea of being a really 
great questioner, interrogating even our clients so that we can get the answers we need, not necessarily the answers that they want to give us, but dig deeper. And I do think that's what separates maybe, you know, great copywriters from mediocre copywriters or even like great salespeople from mediocre salespeople. It's all about the questions that you ask to show your credibility and to show your expertise and to show the way that you are approaching a problem that you're solving. Yeah. And by going in depth as much as Jude does, he's been able to uncover a lot of things that those topical questionnaires or surveys just can't get to. And you're, I'm guessing, we haven't been through this with him, but I'm guessing that he's asking the same questions over and over in different ways in order to get to that information that we like to hide or that you know, we don't necessarily want to show off uh, to somebody that we don't know. But that's the meat. That's the good stuff that you know, helps the stories that he creates for his clients connect with their customers. All right, let's jump back into our interview with Jude and continue our discussion about road mapping and demonstrating proof. I'm kind of making some comparisons between what you do as a video producer, as a storyteller, and what a lot of our listeners as copywriters do in that clients often aren't looking to hire a copywriter. They're looking for something like a sales page or they need the things that the sales page would give them. So Oftentimes we you know, call ourselves copywriters, but that's not really connecting with the client's needs. And I'm wondering in the video world, how do you sell yourself in a way that connects with your client's needs? I'm guessing you don't just say, hey, I'm a videographer that you can hire, but you're talking more about things like how you help people tell their story or, or something else. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I focus specifically on storytelling, on persuasion on my process that I call dramatic demonstration of proof. Um, I, whenever a client reaches out, so the first thing's first, whenever a client reaches out to me, I make it very clear that I am not a videographer, that I am a storyteller and any project that I work on is going to tell a story. And so once we're clear on that, then I move them towards road mapping, which is a, a paid strategy session that I do with them. And in that strategy session, it's an eight-hour strategy session, and we're literally mapping out the entire project from beginning to end. And what that does, focusing on storytelling and then road mapping, is that it completely changes the frame of reference that the client has towards me. So it's not, at that point, it's no longer about, oh, we're going to create a cool video. At that point, it's like, oh, this is a bigger picture. This is more about how does my brand come to life? Because at least for the clients that I work with, they haven't spent a lot of time thinking about their brand. Like it's there, they're doing it, but it's not very intuitive. And it's not very like, it's not something that they've sat down and said, these are more my core values, or these are the stories that I tell, and this is why I tell them. Um, And so I focus a lot on that. I focus like in that road mapping session while I'm asking questions, while we're mapping out the project, I'm also focusing a lot on them telling me stories. So it's like, tell me a moment when this happened. Um, For example, working with Stefan on his project, his documentary series, like I had him take me from basically where he was uh, born, which he was born in a rural rural area in Virginia to where he is now. And it's literally, I'm like looking for every step. Tell me about high school. Tell me about college. Tell me about, for him, his father had passed away when he was 25. Like, tell me about that. Because at the time he was working as a teacher at an outdoor school and he gets this call about his dad passing away and it changed everything for him because that moment 
that his father passes away. He ends up going to Vegas. And then in Vegas, he actually meets his wife who teaches him about copywriting. And so I'm looking for all those moments. And then what the client realizes when I'm doing that is like, this is so much bigger. It's like, oh, yeah, this this story is powerful. And this this is the way I do need to tell this story in order to get other people connected to me in the way that I want them to connect with me. Um, and so for me, it's all about positioning. And in the very early phases, it's like, let's get away from the idea that we're getting ready to do a video or a video series. Let's talk about how this helps you continue to build your brand even beyond the video series. Can you break it down for us? So if I want to do a road mapping session for my clients, even though you know, I'm going to turn it into an email sequence eventually or something else other than videos. Um, what it sounds like you're asking a lot of questions during those eight hours, but can you just kind of break it down so we could pull some ideas from that for our own road mapping sessions? Sure. So for context, road mapping started for me in 2000. Well, I had always been doing road mapping, but I wasn't charging for it. So road mapping is the plan. And once I started charging for it I, at the at the beginning of it, I started charging $500. And then now today I charge $10,000 per road mapping session. But the reason I mentioned that is because I think it's important that no matter what stage you're at in business, um, that you're charging your clients for this planning session, whether it's $100, $200, or $2,000 you're charging for it because you get a different level of client that come they, when they come to the meeting, they're more prepared and they take it more seriously, right? And so what I do in the session, I break it down into three different phases. There's uh, phase one, which is dramatic clarity. Phase two is dramatic demonstration. And then phase three is dramatic leverage. In dramatic clarity, I'm just getting really clear about their brand. I'm thinking about, I'm asking them to tell me a bunch of stories. I'm asking them about their core values and why these things are their core values. And then I'm focusing on their philosophies and beliefs. Why I do that is because Again, I'm getting really clear on who they are, not just in the thing that we're going to do, but who they are. And then I say, okay, you've told me all those things, but how do we bring that to life in video form? Or what, what, where is there a moment where this actually happened that you could walk me through where I can visually see it? Um, and that's where dramatic demonstration comes in. Then from, okay, we, we understand how I might possibly film this or what I'm looking for. I, I get very clear on your brand in the phase one. We understand how we're going to film it in phase two. But in phase three, I'm thinking of the marketing. How do you make sure to leverage this video series that we're going to create, um, whether it's through email marketing, Facebook, Facebook ads, whatever it may be, how do we make sure to leverage that? So again, I'm just for me, it's just thinking of the entire process from beginning to end. What do I need to know? What do I need to prepare for? in order to make sure this client is successful. And I think in copywriting, it's the same thing. I know, you know, the first phase is research, right? Doing tons of research, whether that's talking with a client, talking with the client's uh, customers, and then mapping out, outlining the actual project, which maybe if it's an email marketing sequence, um, thinking of how many emails you actually need to write out and what information do you need for every email? What is this email going to do when you write it? Like, what's the end goal? And then making sure the client executes, that they actually use the emails that you write. Um, I think that's what, for me, that's what roadmapping is, is literally thinking of beginning to end. It's the same way that when you're building a house, you, you can't build a house without a blueprint. I look at roadmapping. I can't do a video series. I can't create a documentary series for a client without 
a roadmap because I have I'll have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and worse, we'll get to the editing phase and I, I don't have anything to tell a story. So I think it's the same thing in copywriting or any creative field, really. But in copywriting, it's the same three steps. It's like thinking of the research, the actual thing that you're going to create, and then making sure the client um, uses what you've created. Okay. So I'm kind of hooked on like the actual eight hours that you spend in this initial session. And so maybe I'm getting into the weeds here, but um, what is this now virtual these days or is it, are you meeting with them in person? How does, what does that look like? Yeah, for me, I, um, I like to meet in person with my clients. And even though times are crazy and times are different, I still like to do it in person. Um, Only because I, I want to make sure the client's not, not distracted. And I, there's just a different energy in the room when you're there in person. Um, this can be done virtually. I just, pers- for the way that I work, I like to do it in person. And so, like I mentioned, the first phase is just going through dramatic clarity. And it's, it's literally just, that's where I'm asking tons and tons and tons of questions. Who are you? What do you stand for? Why do you stand for that? What do you stand against? Um, uh, I'm thinking of like, again, what stories are you telling are you already telling and then what stories are you hiding from? So I say what stories are you hiding from? Cause I think we all discount some of the stories that we have and we discount um, stories that may be powerful, but we don't know they're powerful. So like, for example, I am, um, I'm working with a client now. Her name is Darnielle Jervy Harmon and she's going through this journey of motherhood right now. So she got married at 42 and um, has never had children and is now starting to try to have children. But her first, attempt is, it ended up being a miscarriage. Second attempt is a bad round of IVF, but she's not willing to give up. Even though as the older she gets, the um, she has a less likelihood of having children naturally, she's not willing to give up. And she was discounting, not so much she was discounting the story, but she was afraid to share the story and afraid to share the power of that story and how if she's a business coach, that this can relate to helping people birth their business. And so, um, so yeah, it's a tons of questions. It's, it's, it's literally, I have an outline of questions that I ask and I, I really just want the client to be vulnerable. I want them to open up. That's another reason why I do it in person. It's a little bit easier in my opinion to be vulnerable when you're sitting across from the person. Um, and then I'm able to retell them their story and show them the power of those stories that they're telling, um, so that they understand, okay, this is why someone will connect with me for this reason. Like, again, I go back to Stefan's project because I think Stefan's a very interesting person who, even when I first met him or first heard about him, I didn't think he was the real deal. Like, he was known as an A-lister when I first met him. And I was just like, I've never heard of this guy before, right? Like, I've heard of of Paris before and I've heard of Dan Kennedy and I've heard of all these other guys, but I had never really heard of Stefan. And to me, going into the road mapping session with him, it was like, I needed to figure out, is this guy the real deal? And I mentioned growing up that I wanted to be a police officer. I'm doing the same exact thing in my road mapping sessions. I'm being a detective. I'm working backwards, right? So, like, if you've ever watched Law and Order or um, Blue, Bu- Blue Bloods or different shows like that, you'll notice that it usually opens up with the crime that just happened. And then it, the detectives are trying to figure out why did this crime ha- happen? What's the motive? And I think I'm doing the same thing in road mapping is like, okay, you're telling me this is what you stand for, but is there proof of that? Is there, 
moments in your life where it's really happened before. Um, because when I have to film it, I want to film the truth. I don't want to just film things that you want to make up or make it seem like, you know, you're this person, but you're not really that when the camera's off. I want to film the truth. So exactly the way that I film it is the way that it's shown. Um, and that's what I, I'm digging for the truth in my road mapping sessions. I'm being a detective and I'm questioning, I'm challenging whether or not the things that they're telling me, I'm challenging whether that's true or not. And I'm not challenging it in my mind. I'm challenging it um, out in the open because, again, many times clients haven't spent the time to do this kind of work. They're just focused on, well, I need to this business to get to a certain point and make money. But it's so much more than that, especially as you get to a higher level. Um, and so that's the kind of work that I'm doing in road mapping. And then just to kind of finish that out. So if we were to work with you for it's $10,000 for the road mapping, the deliverable is the storyboard. And then to actually record video footage to make that come to life, that's a whole separate contract, right? Yeah. So it's a different, it's a different fee to do, actually do the video project. The deliverable is not just a storyboard. It's actually an entire presentation about your core values, why they're your core values, your core stories, your philosophies and beliefs, um, and then the storyboard and then the marketing plan for the documentary series. Because that's my, the projects that I do are, what I've specialized in is in documentary series. Um, and so that is, the roadmap itself is usually between 20 to 40 pages, but it's, it's, it's literally taking everything that we've talked about in roadmapping. And now here's this roadmap, here's this, um, I guess you can call it a booklet that you can use and reference anytime you're doing anything else in your business. So this is going to change the subject just a little bit, Jude, but are there differences between the way you tell a story visually and with video than the way that we might tell a story in copy? In my opinion, no. So to me, a story is about a very specific moment in time. And I think that over time, because of different storytelling structures and things like that, like storytelling has gotten, it's a buzzword now and it's gotten different definitions. But at, at the core, like we as human beings, we tell stories. And the reason that we tell stories is because they're about a very specific moment in time. So in copywriting, when you open up about the discovery story, how you discovered, let's say, hypothetically, a product, right, or a health product, you're telling me about a very specific moment in time where something happened in that you needed to discover this product. I remember um, reading, I think it's Ben Settle that writes, uh, he, and back in the day he used to write about um, prostate, I think it's prostate supplements. And he tells a story about a guy being at his daughter's wedding. And I think he ends up, he sits down and he realizes he, had a, he has a spot on his pants. And what happens is that he wasn't able to control the urine coming out of him. And so... Um, that's about a very specific moment in time where this guy's at a wedding, his daughter's wedding, which is a, a great moment for him, but it's also like an embarrassing moment because he's walking around with this spot on his pants and he's got to figure out how do I, what do I do in this moment? And so I think even in the way that I tell stories, when you look at Stefan's documentary series or Danielle's documentary series, I'm, I'm telling stories that are about a very specific moment in time. I'm, the only difference is that I'm telling multiple stories because it's a series but I think even in copywriting, if you're doing an email marketing sequence, um, you can tell different stories about very specific moments in time that are connected and, and tell a, a larger overarching story. And as you're looking for those stories and doing your research, 
how do you know when you found the right hook for the video? Something that's just going to capture us and keep us going. Um, what I'm always looking for is the element of surprise. So again, going back to Stefan's documentary series, if, if you watch his for the first 60 seconds, um, there's this moment that he has with his daughter. I'm not going to ruin, I'm not going to tell what the moment is. I'm going to encourage listeners to go and watch it. But there's this, this 60 seconds in the first 60 seconds where he's playing the guitar and then something happens with his daughter. And for me, that moment was powerful because although I'm telling the story of a copywriter, here he is living out everyday life. And this is the part of his life that you don't get to see. But it's also an element of surprise because of what his daughter, not only what his daughter does, but how he responds to what his daughter does. So one of Stefan's core values that we worked out in roadmapping was um, empowering. He likes to empower other people. And of course, again, I'm, I'm, I'm calling BS on anything that, that we've laid out and mapped out. I want to see it happen. Now, it's easy to see it happen when Stefan is at a mastermind and he's coaching other copywriters or marketers. But to see it happen at home means that it is truly a core value and it's truly like who he is as a person. And that's what I wanted to highlight. I wanted to humanize this person who even when I first met him, I thought that he wasn't the real deal. Here's this moment that humanizes him, that shows you not only he's more than just a copywriter, but the kind of dad that he is, the kind of husband that he is. Um, and so that's what I'm looking for is an element of surprise that, that just, it takes you, it catches you off guard, but it also sucks you into the story because you have to figure out, okay, what happens next? Or how can I find out more about this person? And so that's when I, I don't normally know the hook before I start the project. I'm looking for the hook as I'm filming and I'm looking for things that just surprise me. Like it's, again, I am experiencing this client in the same way that another person will experience it. And I'm looking to bring that to life in a real way. That moment surprised me. Not only, there were so many things. One, he plays a guitar, which I didn't know. He didn't tell me that in road mapping. Um, I knew he had a, a former music career, but I didn't know he was still playing the guitar. So seeing him play the guitar was, was an element of surprise for me. But again, like I said, just that moment with his daughter I didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming. But the way that he responds makes it such a great hook. And, and, and then the other secret that I do is that I usually test out the hook on other people. Um, I had another uh, colleague of mine watch the, I think it was the first five minutes of Stefan's documentary series. And he said to me, he, this guy has uh, two daughters. And he said to me, the way Stefan responded to his daughter is not the same way I would have responded. Um, but it had him hooked because he, it made him think differently of Stefan. Like, oh, this is an interesting guy. Like, he's a dad just like I'm a dad, but he responded in a different way that I wouldn't respond. And I think his response is better. So that's how I try. It, it, ultimately, it's like I'm looking to humanize the person, but I'm also looking for this element of surprise that takes you off guard, but it sucks you into the story. Do you find that you end up being a mindset coach with your client because this there's an element I would imagine, at least if I was to be recorded for a documentary, where I would be like, nobody cares about this moment. Nobody cares about how I'm mothering or how I'm talking to my husband. This doesn't really matter. Or on the other hand, it could be like where I feel like I have to present myself a certain way because you're capturing the footage. And it's really hard to just keep it real when you're capturing every second of me screaming at my children. Um, so I guess. The question is like, how are your clients just already in the zone at that level where they're already on board and they don't really need that coaching from you? 
And the second question is, uh, what advice would you give to uh, copywriters who maybe aren't hiring a videographer, or, uh, but they are showing up on social media and they're kind of like, I know I should do it, but do people really care? Do they really want to see this other side of my life? Yeah. So that's a great question because I work with seven and eight figure entrepreneurs and they have built very successful businesses, but believe it or not, they have the same uh, insecurities and the same reservations that, uh, that other people have. Meaning, you know, what do they look like on camera or how do they sound on camera? Or, you know, the one that always surprised me in the beginning was I would get clients that ask me, well, okay, you've heard all of this. You, you, you've heard everything about my business. Is it really that interesting? Right? Like one of Stefan's concern was one, is it really that interesting me talking and teaching about copywriting? But two, he didn't want to be braggadocious because obviously he's a high level copywriter. He lives in a very nice home. He drives a nice car. He didn't want that to be the highlight. And so, yeah, I find myself coaching my clients and helping them understand, like, look, this is about authenticity. I do want you to be open and vulnerable. But also, like, you have to just let go. You have to trust that you've hired someone that has your best interests at heart, but also someone that really knows how to show you, show the good and the bad in a light that will help people connect with you. They won't hate you. They'll just connect with you on a deeper level. Um, and so, yeah, I find myself coaching my clients and not only helping them see the power of their stories or see that, hey, just be, just be you, even when the camera's on or when it's not on, just be you. Like, I'm, I'm a fly on the wall. What I try to do is I, I try to help the client forget that I'm even there, meaning, like, I'm not directing the scene. I'm not saying, hey, stand here. This will be a better shot. I'm making myself like a fly on the wall and I'm just moving around wherever I can move around to get what I need to get. Um, and I think like for copywriters who are looking to show up on social media, who are looking to just create these videos, at the end of the day, just be you. And I think people more than anything they can, our BS meter is, is on a high, on a high level now. And I think they can see realness versus you're just faking and you're presenting or you're looking to act a certain way. I think if you just be you and you're just real, quirks and all. Like, because Stefan, not only is Stefan a quirky dude, but his friends that I have talking on camera mention that he's a very quirky dude. And I don't want to shy away from that. Like, this is who he is. We all have our quirks. And I think if we focus on just highlighting our quirks. Our quirks are what makes us different. And that's what will make people pay attention to us. That will, that's what make them uh, uh, like us, know, like, and trust us. And so I think if you show up in that way, when you are creating your own videos, um, that's the most important piece. Just be your authentic self. If you messed up, okay, hey, I messed up. Let's, let's, let me say that over again. Like just being real about it um, is, is honestly the best advice I could give. Yeah, that's good to hear because I think uh, Kira and I are a little quirky, a little weird ourselves. So it's nice to know we don't Speak have to for hide. Yourself, it. Man. <laughs> okay, so let's break in here again and briefly talk about this marketing formula that Jude's been sharing with us. It's three steps. And when I heard him first say it, I was thinking, oh, this is almost a copywriting formula, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it really is a formula that maybe a lot of copywriters could think a little bit more deeply about and uh, 
you know, as far as like managing a project. And that is that you start with that clarity. Um, that's maybe the research, the questioning, you know, all of the things that you've got to find out, identifying the stories. Then the second part is this demonstration. You know, how do you show that off in video that comes through, you know, in, in telling the stories or showing people doing things in copy? I think that's a little bit different, you know, maybe with, we, we use testimonials, uh, you know, we use uh, case studies and stories um, in the copy. And then the third part is leveraging this asset that you've just created. So thinking beyond the copy that we create and figuring out, okay, how can my clients use this? more and and creating really big leverage around that. I think this is a really cool framework that, especially this last part, you know, like how do we leverage the assets that we're helping our clients create so that they get bigger results and better results than maybe they were expecting? What stood out to me is how Jude positions himself in the marketplace. And he said to his client, you know, I'm not a videographer, I'm a storyteller. And that um, really helps him position himself in the marketplace for distinction. And I think that's something that we can all think about as copywriters. What are what is the title that we're giving ourselves? What are what are you calling yourself? Um, have you given that a lot of thought, or are you just defaulting to what most of your competitors and colleagues are are using as their title? Maybe it is just we feel like we all need to call ourselves copywriters, but really, what you're doing is something entirely different. And so it's something that I think we can all give more thought because it does help us position ourselves in a competitive, crowded space and can help set you apart when uh, prospects are speaking to you. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. You know, relying on a title like videographer is all about the tools. It would be a lot like you or I saying, hey, we're keyboard jockeys. It's really not about the keyboard and it's not about the the video or the video camera. It's about the value that he's creating. And so when he says he's a storyteller, um, you know, the value that those stories bring to his clients is the thing that he's emphasizing. And we can do the same thing, you know, as far as, the value that we create, it's less about the words and more about the transformation and the results that the words actually deliver for our clients. And the last note or point I'll add is how Jude charges for, he's charging for his strategy. He's charging for his brain and his experience and his expertise with the roadmapping session. And I know he mentioned charging $10,000 for it. And that's before he even starts to, um, capture video content and create the documentary. And so it's a really great example of how we can do that as copywriters and we can package up and bundle the strategy, the research, you know, the clarity, the intel, all of that and charge, you know, also charge 10,000 or whatever, you know, it, it makes sense for you and your market. But I think it's a really good example of him doing it. It is possible. We can do it too. And that's before you even create potentially the copy deliverables or the website copy or the entire launch. So it's something that we've seen copywriters do. I've done it as well. And it is possible to start selling and getting paid for your your brain, your intel, your strategy, your expertise. Yeah, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations about this idea recently. You know, the fact that the strategy that we create is more valuable than the copy we create. And to be able to package it up and sell it separately or as part of a project is an incredibly valuable service that our clients need. And so, you know, finding ways to talk about that, especially talking about the value that that strategy can provide for our clients, I think is really important. Ultimately, if you get the strategy right and you're able to provide all the ideas for, you know, how your client is going to show up in the world, 
you could almost hand that off and have anybody write the copy. It really is the most important part of the projects that we do. Let's go back and finish up our interview and talk about how we met Jude at TCC IRL. So when we first met you, Jude, it was at our very first event in uh, Manhattan. You showed up. You weren't even a copywriter, but you decided to come to TCC IRL. Tell us why you did that and what were you hoping to get out of the event? Yeah, so when I came to TCC IRL, I wasn't a copywriter, but I always knew that copywriting was important, specifically because to get clients, marketing is 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 about copywriting. And so for me, it was like, how can I get better at this copywriting thing when I am sending an email to a client and I, I'm just sending it one-on-one, but I want to persuade them to work with me. How can I get better at persuasion? Um, I also was just, I think you can tell growing up, I've always just been a very curious person. So I had this idea in my mind, I never really ran with it, but I had this idea in my mind, how could I combine copywriting with video? Beyond just a video sales letter, which was already popular by that time, but like, how can I help? How can I create these documentary series, but even add to that and create an email series that goes along with the documentary series so that the client doesn't have to think about what to create as far as marketing? So like an all-in-one service. Now, I never ran with that, but those were some of the ideas, th- thoughts I had in my head. I was just very curious. I had just heard of this copywriting world. And then I think I started listening to the podcast and just taking all that in and seeing that it was a completely different world I had never known of. Um, and then once you guys announced the first ever TCC IRL, I was like, I have to go. I have to be a part of that because, again, I'm thinking of what the next chapter of my life looks like. And it's like, this may be a part of it. I'm not sure. Um, but what it did help me understand better was persuasion. And honestly, it helped me develop. I had already begun developing dramatic demonstration of proof, but by that point, I think it, it definitely helped me solidify it and understand what I was creating and why it was impactful. Like, it wasn't just about the storytelling. It was about the, persu- the other persuasion pieces that I was adding and including into it that um, helped people connect with these entrepreneurs on a deeper level. So that's why I got into this copywriting world, even though I'm still not a copywriter. But I think for me running my business, I have to be a copywriter that that writes these emails that persuades a client to work with me. So, and then, yeah, we met you. And then the following year, you actually uh, got on stage to talk about the dramatic demonstration of proof. And uh, you did some cool things in that presentation. You know, uh, you created a video, you were you were wearing a cape. You know, tell us a little bit about the your approach to that whole talk and, and what you conveyed to the audience. Yeah, so that talk was the, I, I've spoken on stage before, but, that talk was honestly the largest audience I've ever spoken in front of. So I was a nervous wreck before doing that talk. Um, But what I focused on was what I knew, which was dramatic demonstration of proof and video storytelling, which I had been doing, I think at that point, 13 years. Um, And my approach was just how could I take everything that I've done for my clients and help copywriters and marketers understand how to do it for themselves. And so I and then uh, the other thing, one of the reasons why I wore, wore a black cape is I wanted to create dramatic demonstration of proof on stage. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to show it. So dramatic demonstration of proof, just so people understand, I talked a little bit about it. Roadmapping is a piece of it where we break down dramatic clarity, dramatic demonstration, and dramatic leverage. 
But dramatic demonstration of proof, dramatic demonstration that comes out of road mapping, there's five different phases of that. There's behind the scenes, live illustration, social proof, transformation, and unique mechanism. You'll realize these words aren't new, they're copywriting terms, but I do it in visual form. So me wearing the black cape on stage was a live illustration of David Ogilvy, who I had read in one of his books, he, he actually used to wear a black cape to his meetings because he wanted to stand out. And that's what, to me, DDP is all about, is like, it's about standing out. Um, social proof, I had created a video the night before. So I spoke on day two of TCC IRL. And on day one, I went around filming different copywriters, one, to show the different areas that they came from so I could show that TCC IRL was an international conference, but two, to just get their thoughts and ideas about like why it was important for them to be there and what they're learning. Um, but that was social proof. That was not just Rob and Kira talking about how great TCC IRL is. Here are people who actually attended. They are here for day one, and this is what they have to say. TCC in one word. Oh, um, yeah, that's tough, man. One word is tough. Career changing. Business changing. Inspiring. Fun. Growth. Immersive. And so I think, I'm trying to think what else I created. Of course, I showed my own work um, on stage, but I think... There was a skydiving video, oh, I think. Oh, skydiving, yes. Yeah, so the skydiving yeah. video, that was actually very strategic because... Again, I believe in being vulnerable and I believe in being um, open and the element of surprise, right? That was the hook for me because when you meet me or talk to me, I'm a very cool, calm, collected person, but you'll never know that I have this other side of me where I really <laughs> seek to do these adrenaline-filled adventures. Um, and so I, my girlfriend at the time had surprised me with uh, tickets to go to skydiving for my 30th birthday to go skydiving. And I had been talking about going skydiving for four years, but there was a reason why it never happened. <laughs> but she surprised me. She didn't even tell me where we were going. She just told me we're going to be outside, wear shorts and a t-shirt. And it wasn't until we actually pulled up to the hangar that I realized, oh my gosh, we're going skydiving. And so, but that was a very vulnerable moment for me. When you see my face as I jump out of the airplane, you realize how scared I was. But I wanted to start with this element of surprise because here's this guy that's a filmmaker and he's at a copywriting conference. How does that connect? And I instant, I wanted to get the audience to instantly connect with me and to disarm them, to humanize myself, um, and then go into my presentation. And so that's why I didn't start with my reel. I started with that skydiving video um, that then led into everything else that I was teaching. But the other cool thing that I think we talked about behind the scenes was that I mentioned I was a nervous wreck. So one thing I did the night before was that I recorded my entire presentation um, and then I uploaded it to my phone. And then I, uh, when I went to sleep, I put in headphones and I played it on repeat while I slept. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> All because I was just so nervous about messing <laughs> up that I needed to build the confidence and feel like I know. So it was basically programming, really like programming it into my brain. But yeah, it was it wasn't easy putting that presentation together. But I'm glad that a lot of people enjoyed it. Until this day, I know I've gone. To, I went to TCCIRL in San Diego uh, this year, and it's still like, hey, you're the guy with the black cape, and it's like it's really cool that. But that's the point I think of dramatic demonstration of proof, is that you stand out. Like when you do things that are different, when you catch someone by surprise, when you really try to think of how can I show myself in a three dimensional way, you. Um, 
people remember you. And it doesn't take you having to be in, I mean, of course, that's a part of marketing too, to be present and to be there constantly. But I think when you can do something that cements it into their mind, like dramatic demonstration of proof, it, uh, it changes the game. Yeah, well, we had no idea that you were that nervous because I think there's something to that recording it and listening to it on repeat the night before rather than going to a bar, which is what I usually do the night before <laughs> my presentations. Um, but I want to kind of talk about mindset shifts because we've, we've talked about your growth uh, from struggling business owner to successful business owner and how you've focused on sales and marketing. But I'd like to hear about how the work you've done on your mindset, even money mindset, to go from charging $500 for a road mapping session to 10000 and working with some really big clients now on huge projects. Um, what have you done behind the scenes or what's helped you continue to grow mindset-wise? Um, so it takes a lot of confidence to do that, right? To go from 500 to 10,000 or go from, at one point I was charging $3,000 per, per project and now I'm definitely in six figures per project. It takes a level of confidence to do that. And I think one of the tricks that I still do to this day is, honestly, I think everyone should do it, is that I have on my phone, in my uh, photos album, I have an iPhone, in my photos album, I have a section that's called uh, the confidence folder. And in that confidence folder, I have testimonials that my clients have given me either on video or in emails. Um, I have all of the comments that I got from TCC IRL, I have in that folder. Um, I have the message that, or the, the, I think it was a comment that you left on one of my posts, Rob, where you said, um, I think you said, I forget the exact words, but it was just like, uh, there'll be a day where I can say I discovered you, right? I have all of that in a folder because what happens is in entrepreneurship, there's a lot of ups and downs. And there are moments where you just, you have imposter syndrome. Even at this high level, I still go through imposter syndrome, right? Um, and what I do when, but right before I'm getting ready to talk to a client, sometimes right before I do a podcast, I didn't do it today, but sometimes right before I do a podcast, I just remind myself of what I've actually done because there's a lot of head trash and there's a lot of like, you know, just having the wrong perspective at times. Maybe you messed up and then now it's like you take this one mess up and you allow it to define the rest of your life. Um, and I just look back at that stuff and I just remind myself, you know what? Yeah, I messed up, but, but here's the other things that I've done that, that I can build my confidence off of, right? Like here's other clients and what they have to say about the work that I've done. Not just like, oh, the video was great, but just like how road mapping, what the, a constant feedback I get from road mapping is like clients look past just the video portion of it. They, they carry it with them in everything else that they do. And that to me, I had I'd never known that's how clients was looking at road mapping, how they were looking at road mapping. But I remind myself of that because going from 500 to, I didn't jump from 500 to 10,000. I went from 500 to 1,000 to 2,000, 3,000, then 7,500 and then 10,000. Why that is, is because I kept getting feedback from clients. Like I had one client, uh, Darnielle, who waited a year to work with me. And I think at the time she had paid 5,000 for road mapping or 7,500. And although she waited a year to work with me, she said to me what she learned in road mapping, she was able to implement and then make an extra $100,000 in her business. 
So if I'm charging $10,000 for a road mapping session and I can help you make $100,000, you're going to do that all day, every day, right? And so to me, I look at the value that I create. I look at the work that I've done over the years um, to just change my mindset when I am thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough or I am thinking I can't charge, I can't possibly charge X, right? Like, I just go back to the work that I've done over the years and I remind myself there's this visual reference. I think, I think obviously because I'm a filmmaker, I believe this, but I also think like it's just very powerful when we have visual references that helps to change our mindset and it helps to change our confidence. Um, so that's one thing I've done confidence, how I've gone from different prices, price levels is just, looking at the value that I create from a client for a client. Um, after each project, I do an assessment with the client and then with myself, just with like internally. And if I feel like I've created more value than I've created before, I increase the rate. Like there isn't a science to it for me, but I've just over time increased my rate because I proved to myself that I'm creating value and I price everything off of value. Right. Like the ten thousand dollars that I charge for road mapping is not because I sit there for eight hours. It's because of the value that I feel like I create for the client. Um, I'm writing the dramatic demonstration of proof book now, which is all about road mapping and breaking down the road mapping sessions that I've done for my clients. But once that book is out, road mapping is going up to twenty thousand. Why? Because I feel like this book gives you the entire thing that you can do on your own. Um, and the fact that I took the time to distill it into a book is value, right? And so I want to be compensated based on my value and compensated based on the value of the clients that I work with, right? Seven and eight figure clients. So those are some of the ways that I think about it. I don't know that I, I really had a science to it other than, hey, I just got to prove it to myself. And if I can prove it to myself, I can go to the next level. So I'm looking forward to the book. That'll be, uh, that'll be on my nightstand when it's, uh, when it's released. I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned as we've been talking a couple of moments, you know, there's the business card moment where, uh, you know, you, you sort of have this idea that being a, uh, a producer, a movie maker, a filmmaker is a possibility. There's another moment when, you know, Keisha calls and says, you know, I've made a million dollars, almost shifts your mindset there too. Are there other moments that you can identify that made you or helped you make a leap in, in what you were doing or in your mindset? Other than the moments that I have with my clients when they're actually watching back their films, I think. So, for example, um, I have a client named Tracy Lynn who watched. I did a six-part documentary series with her, and we watched it before it ever premiered. And to watch. So, obviously, this is a documentary where she's featured in. She's, she's the main character. But to see her, to sit in that room with her and watch her cry watching herself, I think. Every time that that happens, because it's happened before, Keisha Dior did cry watching her series. To me, there's a moment that happens like what I'm doing is so much bigger than what I even think, right? Like, obviously, I'm running a business and I'm thinking about making money and I am purpose-driven. That's why I work with purpose-driven clients. But to see the client, it's almost like a visual reference for them to see themselves talking and the way that they're talking and to see like, how they've grown even in six months. So I work with clients in six months or sometimes a year long span. And it's like for them to watch back their films and say, man, I needed that reminder. 
or even to see how other people respond when they're watching it. I think those are moments for me that it just re... It's not so much that it's a big leap. It just, it makes me realize that I'm doing my purpose work. Other than that, I don't know that I've had... So Keisha Dior was a very big one. Um... I think the other big one that I, I talked about was going from 3,000 to 15,000 with the interior designer. Um, we ended up doing, we ended up working together for three years, I think, and it ended up being like a $42,000 project. But I think the level of trust at that point, I hadn't done the kind of work that he was asking me to do. And the level of trust that he had in me was another big leap that I think I went from, because I remember him saying to me, like, for the amount of work that you did, and what it's created for my business, I would have paid you three times more. I think hearing those things from my clients is what helps me make, make a bigger leap because it's like, wait, this person sees the, what it's created for them and they're willing to pay three times more or five times more. Um, that's what creates the bigger leap for me is, is just the proof, the constant proof, the constant feedback, I think. Seeking out that feedback. Um, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's, that's what gives me the courage to take the next, the next big leap. So what is the next big leap for you? You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned walking away from filmmaking that you were thinking about it, not that you were definitely doing that. And yeah. of course you just mentioned the book, but like what are you what else are you thinking about? What excites you now? That's a great question. I think I'm in search of what excites me next because so I mentioned I think we were off air when I mentioned this. This year 2020 has been a very crazy year, but it's also been a busy year for me in my business. Um I have traveled nonstop working with clients from January to October. And I love what I do. It is great what I do. But thinking about what that next level looks like, um, honestly, it's just been challenging to think about because I'm doing high level work right now. So to think about what the next level looks like is, is hard. I think what I think about, though, is like, obviously, I haven't produced a documentary series for Netflix yet or for Amazon Prime. I think to me, that's part of the next level, but there's so much more to than just that vanity of I've produced a project that's on Netflix. I um, a lot of what I think about is legacy type documentary projects. So like uh, working with billion dollar entrepreneurs who want to capture their stories on camera, not so much for the rest of the world to see that may happen, but it's more importantly for their family legacy that. Um, will be captured over time. It's this tap time capsule that's captured for their gra grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Um, like I often think about Jeff Bezos and obviously we've seen what he's created and all the things that he's doing, but it's like, what would have been like to just have a camera on him in the early days of Amazon and seeing how he's building this company from the ground up um, or how he's thought about the decisions that he's making, even at this high, higher level. Like, what does that mean for his children? What does that mean for his great-grandchildren? I think some of those things that, it, those are some of the things that I think about. Um, but then I also think about, like, like you mentioned, walking away from filmmaking and what does that look like? What do I do next? Because all I've ever known is filmmaking and storytelling. What does that look like next? I'm not sure. I haven't gotten there yet, but I, maybe we'll do a part two to this and I will definitely talk about what my next 10-year span looks like. But the one, the last thing I'll leave you guys with is also just, just don't just tell the story, show the story and show your truth, right? As even as a copywriter, you have opportunities to show why you're different, 
to show why a client should work with you. And I think the greatest gift that you have as copywriters is, is uh, having a theater of the mind where you can take these visual words and turn it. You can take the words that you're writing and turn them into visuals um, just because the person has read it in their mind and now it becomes this theater of the mind. So those are two things I'll leave you with. Definitely think more about the visual words that, you cre- that you're creating, but also think about actually creating visuals and taking what you're doing, the work that you're doing to another level. That wraps up our interview with Jude. I love hearing Jude talk about his preparation for TCC IRL. I mean, obviously it worked because he knocked his presentation out of the park and that presentation uh, has been available inside our dashboard for some of our programs. So you know, people can, uh, if they're interested in, in seeing what he did there, uh, we can uh, you know, provide a, a link to that talk or they can find that inside the underground. I don't think that the record and listen approach works really well for me because I'm up at night working on my presentation like the night before but i you know i love that he recorded everything onto uh you know onto a, a voice memo or onto his iphone and then he just like plays it over and over so that he subconsciously you know memorized his uh his presentation which was which kind of fun to hear the different approaches to that uh i know a little bit about your approach to you know our events and the talks that you've given to kara uh, like are you thinking of maybe adapting jude's approach and being ready ahead of time listening to it recorded <laughs> Being ready ahead of time, that sounds like a good approach. Yeah, yeah right. I also, I know you and I are always up the night before working on our presentations. It seems like we've done the event three years. Every year, it's like everything still feels last minute and I can never get ahead. One year, I will get ahead and I will not be working on that last minute. So I can do and test Jude's approach, which I think sounds really smart. But usually, yeah, I'm just playing with slides or even like working with the designer the night before. And I'm kind of a more of a last minute type of person, I guess. Maybe 2021 is the year that it'll change since, you know, with this event, we are very, very likely to be uh, virtual and be able to do some things ahead of time. So maybe, maybe this is the year that changes. Yes, for sure. Okay. One other thing um, that I think is just worth mentioning, you know, Jude's talking about the value that he's creating and actually charging for it, you know, from, as, and you can see it over the arc of his entire story, you know, where he had that first client who made a million dollars and he only made $3,000. And then, you know, towards the end of the story where he's literally charging tens of thousands of dollars because of the quality that he delivers, because of the value that his clients are getting. And you can see how charging for the value he created changes over the trajectory of his career. And this is something that, you know, we preach a lot about in all of our programs, you know, copywriters are famous for undercharging and undervaluing what we create for our clients. And so, you know, just think about the prices that you're charging now. Think about the value that you're creating. How does that line up? And should you be charging more for the the copy that you're writing, for the funnels that you're building, for the websites that you're helping create, for the offers that you're you know helping to uh, bring to pass? All of that stuff has immense value for our clients, and we need to make sure that we're actually charging them a fair value for what we create for them. Also, a good reason to keep in touch with clients beyond the fact that it's also good to just keep in touch with clients and possibly work on other projects. Keep in touch so you can ask those follow-up questions a month later, a couple months later, and allow them to open up about the value you've created. And so if you're kind of um, like I've been in the past where you just work on a project, you just, like 
peace out. We're done. Have a nice life. You don't um, create those opportunities for you to get that feedback where a client will say, hey, that was really helpful. That was really valuable. So you can ask, well, how, you know, what, what type of value would you assign to that? Um, I think it's really important to collect that data, even if it's informally, as you continue to build those relationships. Well, we want to thank Jude for joining us for the second time to get this episode recorded. Uh, to learn more about Jude and the amazing stories that he tells with videos, visit his website, judecharles.co, that's .co. And you can also check out the short video that he created for us on the fly during our event in San Diego last March. We've included a link to that in the show notes at our website. That's the end of another episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. To learn more about how Rob and I can help you build a more successful copywriting business, visit thecopywriterclub.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club yeah, can make you lots of money. Listen to it. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode.